So, um, I had something crazy happen to me this week. Um, I became the proud parent of a 16-year-old. No, don't worry. She doesn't have her driver's license. I don't know. I'll let you talk to her about that. But... It's a it's a really weird thing, and I had this realization this week that that birthdays are for more than just celebrating, like for your kids to get presents. Like they're they're a space where you, as a parent, are like celebrating milestone. You're remembering. We sat. So I actually have two daughters who have birthdays that are two uh, that are that are, that are two days apart. So Julia's birthday is on March 14th, and Sarah's birthday is on March 16th, yesterday. And so like yesterday morning, we sat on the couch, and we went through all of these old pictures and videos of when the kids were little. And, and I realized that, that, that birthdays are about more than just like presents and gifts and celebrating new milestones they're about remembering. They're about remembering where you've been. They're about looking ahead towards the future. And they're really interesting. And we do this a lot. This is kind of the way humans work, right? We have We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. We mark these moments as as milestones in our lives that we look back and we say, this is where I am now and this is where I came from. And those are really cool and exciting things. Now, they're int- really interesting things. There's a lot of things that we, we don't celebrate, right? We don't celebrate the anniversary of getting fired from our job. We, we don't celebrate the anniversary of our DUI. We don't celebrate that. We don't celebrate uh, the time that we crashed our mom's car. It's not like an annual celebration. Like we, we a lot of times, unless like it was a significant like date, we don't even necessarily remember the day those things happened. But, but we're a people that like to celebrate things. We like to remember moments. I think it's really interesting when you, one of the features on Facebook is that every day it, it like throws in your face what happened on this day in the past. And what's really interesting is like, it's, it's always, there's always fun pictures that you get to remember you also get to remember how weird we used to be when we used Facebook. Like, like you remember when Facebook used to ask the question, how are you? It started that. And so it would have your, it would have your name in response to that question and then a blank space. Somewhere along the way, they stopped asking that question. And so all of those original posts now sound like you're insane. It, now they just say, is feeling a little blue? 
Like that's how they start is having a really awesome day is maybe you don't remember that. Some of some of you didn't use Facebook that early. Some of you don't care. Some of you aren't even old enough to remember that. I, I think that's a really interesting feature. Like it shows uh, shows you those moments. I th- think it's also fun if you if you pull up your photo album on your your phone. It it'll show you pictures that you took on this day in the past, which is which is cool, especially when you when you're getting together and celebrating a thing like Christmas or uh, Easter or birthdays. Like, you pull those things up. Now, we have been in this series uh, called Seeing the Invisible. And over the last several weeks, we have talked about a lot of things. We've talked about uh, what it's like to wander in the desert. We've talked about what it's like to, to feel like you're all alone, to feel like God has left you, to feel like God isn't answering your prayers. We talked about those, those experiences in life. But what about once you're out of those seasons? What, what do we do when we're done with the desert? When we're done with the wilderness? When we're out? When we've reached the promised land? What posture should we take? So we're going to be looking in the book of John today. John chapter 7, I'll let you find that. Before we jump in, so we find out at the beginning of uh, John chapter 7 that it is almost the Feast of Tabernacles. Who knows what that is? Three, Three people. Cool. So the interesting thing is that when in the book of Leviticus, God lays out the law for the people. And the book of Leviticus has some really weird stuff in it. I've been reading the book of Leviticus, and I'm really grateful to be past certain parts of it. If you read the book of Leviticus, you know what I'm talking about. There are some parts that are just gross. I'm just saying... They're just gross. But one of the really cool things about the book of Leviticus is it talks about these festivals. And so in Leviticus chapter 23, it talks about the festivals that they are, uh, the Jewish people are supposed to celebrate. And it details what those, when and how to celebrate those festivals. Now, in Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 33... It it details this festival. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, Now, keep in mind, they don't use the same calendar we do. They're they're on a lunar calendar, which means that the seventh, and it doesn't start in January, the seventh month lands around in October. And so, Somewhere in October, say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacle begins. And it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present 
food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. Okay. There, there's way more that goes into this. If you follow, uh, follow this up, there's a section in the book of Numbers that kind of really, really details what this is, what they do to celebrate this. But let, let me give you a little bit of background. So the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles um, is also called the Feast of Booths. And so what they would do is they would set up tents Everybody would come to Jerusalem. They would set up tents all over the city. And for seven days, they live in tents. Why? Because they were commemorating their time in the wilderness. Do you, do you remember why they were wandering around in the wilderness? Does anybody remember that? The, because they were stubborn. Because when presented with the truth about the, the promised land, most of the people responded by saying, we can't do it. We can't take the land. And, and they didn't trust God and they didn't believe God. And, and so they wandered around in the, in the desert until the people who didn't trust and believe God were, were, were gone. So this feast, and, and so this feast takes place at the end of the harvest. So after God pours out his blessing and gives you all of the provision for everything that you need, I want you to celebrate the time you spent in the desert. That's weird. Like, so at the end of like this season of blessing where God gives you this great harvest, I want you to celebrate this season that you went through this difficult, dark 40 years. And not only do I want you to remember those dark 40 years, but I also want you to remember that it was your fault that you went there. That's an interesting thing to ha have a celebration. That's, that's not like Christmas. That, that's not what we tend to to celebrate. We, what we like to do is we like to move past those difficult seasons as quickly as possible. We like to forget them because they're really quite frustrating. They're quite dark. They're quite, uh, they, they, they make us remember the things that we, the difficult things that we go through. And so we want to move past. Once we're, once we're out of the wilderness, we want, like, so they're not even out of the wilderness yet. And God is telling them that from now on, from now until forever, I want you to remember the season that you walk in the desert. That's really interesting. So, but now we're going to jump. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about the, the, this, this feast because it's really interesting. Um, so during this feast, they have several readings that they would do. And one of the reading is from Zechariah chapter 14. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter. They would. You're lucky. We're not going to do that. But th this is what, what it says. Um, on that day, he's, uh, the prophet Zechariah is 
after telling them that, you know, that everything is going to be lost, he's looking to the future when God restores everything. That God restores the things that are broken. He says on that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem. Half of it to the east, to the Dead Sea, and the other half of it to the west, to the Mediterranean Sea. In summer and in winter, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. So part of this whole celebration involved some things that the priest would do on a daily basis. So every morning, the priest would get up before dawn. Like, I don't, some of you don't know that there's a time that's before dawn. <laughs> so d- dawn is, is like when the sun's just about to come up. So before that time, before dawn, each day the priest would proceed to the east gate of the temple area. As the sun appeared, they turned away from it and faced the west toward the temple. Then they announced, Our fathers, when they were in this place, turned their face toward the east and they worshiped the sun toward the east. But as for us, our eyes are turned towards the Lord. So they would start each day of this festival saying, our fathers turned away, but we turned towards God. Now, there is an evening thing that they did as well. The evening part of this uh, every day is they would light these huge candelabras. And and so when, when when you think candelabras, you, like the word here is menorah, which basically means a candle holder with seven candle holders. It's not just used for Hanukkah. I don't know if you knew that. It, it, it's used throughout all of the celebrations in the Jewish uh, in the temple. But they would have these huge candelabras, and and they wouldn't the the candelabras wouldn't just be like little candles with like like twinkling lights. The, 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 the wick of the candle was actually made from the used uh, linens from worn-out priest's garments. So they would wad these up, and they were basically like torches. And they would light up the entire temple. And, and during this, uh, uh, this, the, the lighting of the, the, this menorah, they would read the Psalms of Ascent. I don't know if you remember what the Psalms of Ascent are. They, those are Psalms 120 through 134. They would read these Psalms. They would cry out and worship God. These are all worshipful songs, Psalms, and they would they would worship God in in the in the light. But there was a there was a there was in one more thing that they did, and it was in between the evening and the morning the pre-dawn celebration, it was, it, it was called the, the rite of the water libation. Okay? You ready? This is really interesting. So on the very first morning on the Feast of Tabernacles, the very first morning, the priests would take this giant basin, a gold basin, 
and they would walk from the temple to the, the pool of Siloam. And they'd fill this basin with water. And they'd bring it back to the temple. And it was a huge celebration. It was a huge ceremony. Like it was a huge procession. And then every day, they would take a silver bowl and scoop out a, a, a bowl of water and they'd pour it on the ground. And they'd take a silver bowl of water and fill it with wine and pour it on the ground. And every day they would do that. And during that time, they would recite the Hallel Psalms, which are Psalms 113 through 118. And the end, the end, the last part of Psalm 118 is this. Starting in verse 21, it says, I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So, at the beginning of the feast, they would fill this basin up. At the end of the feast, whatever water was left in the basin, they would take and they would dump it out as they're reading this psalm. Which is really interesting because when we get to the end of John chapter 7, This is what we see. It says, On the last day and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow within them. What does that say from Zechariah? On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Jesus says, on the last day of the festival, as the priest is reading this thing about the stone that the builders rejected, which I don't know if you know that that's Jesus. Jesus is the stone that was the builders rejected. And, and the really interesting thing, like there's so much here that is really, really interesting because in just a minute, it says, by this he meant, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to this time, the Spirit had not been given. So, immediately after he says and does all of this, like, it's really interesting when you see the reactions to some of the things that Jesus does. So Jesus 
says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. We read that. We have no idea what he's talking about. We're like, okay, well, that's a cool metaphor, Jesus. We don't understand why the response by some of the people is, oh my goodness, he is the prophet. Other people are like, no, he has to be the Messiah. And then other people are like, we have to kill this guy. What? Why are people reacting this way? We don't understand that what Jesus is actually saying in this moment, like this, this psalm, this entire ritual that's happening points toward God being salvation. Jesus is saying, I am here to save. I am the water that quenches the thirst. The living water that you're looking for, I provide. So what does this have to do with the celebration? I think a lot of times what we, what we want to do is we want to move past the times in our lives where we, we know we've blown it. But is it any surprise that part of the process of initiating a relationship with Jesus involves confession of sin? Confessing the fact that you, are, that you don't live up to the standard? It's really interesting that God, as a part of this commemorative celebration that, that they, would, they would celebrate the harvest. They would celebrate the good things that just happened by remembering the bad things that they went through in the past. I think, I think we, we don't have that as a part of the way we think. We, we want to move past the difficult things as quickly as possible. We want to move past the mistakes that we've made as quickly as possible. We want to not acknowledge those because that really hurts. But the, the reality is, is that when we deny our story, it actually ends up defining us. When we deny the, the things that have happened that we have caused or happened to us, that that story begin, begins to define us. And I think part of the challenge is that we, we've created this culture where, where we, we want to move past the pain as quickly as possible. You know, I mean, doctors tell us all the time that, you know, if you're, if you're injured and you're taking painkillers to get rid of the pain, the problem is, is that you don't know where your limit is. And you end up causing more damage that way. But the, the thing is, is that we, we want to move past the pain, the difficult, the challenge, the, the mistakes that we've made, the hurt, the things that where we've been hurt or we've hurt other people. We want to move past that as quickly as possible. But the problem is, is that because we do that, we eliminate the ability for God to come in and step in and do something in our lives. I think it's amazing that God, Jesus shows up and says, hey, just so you know, I'm here to save you. In the middle of the story of the Feast of Tabernacles, because that's a story where they, they as a people are acknowledging and confessing that we have to remember where we were. 
The interesting thing is, is that that's where Jesus shows up. That's true in our everyday life. Jesus will almost always show up in the middle of you remembering and you walking through and you acknowledging the difficulty, the, 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 the bad things that you've gone through. So in, in our tendency to want to try to smooth everything over, we end up smoothing over the times where we have hurt people. We've hurt feelings in our family. It's easy for us to stockpile that hurt and turn it into rage and resentment and isolation. But the reality is, is I think if we can learn anything from this, we have to learn that we have to acknowledge those times. I, I've hurt people. I've said things that have, that have wounded relationships. And I think what we have to do is we have to acknowledge that. We have to, we have to own that. Because before we, if we can't own it, if we can't own those times where we are the ones that are in the wrong, if we can't confess our sin, then what, how, how can Jesus come in and fix it? Like, that's a huge part of the process is we have to acknowledge that there's a problem. And I think the beautiful thing about this story is that Jesus shows up in the middle of that. We can't pretend that our family histories don't matter. Family histories of addiction, mental health issues. They, we can't pretend that those things don't exist. Because when we do, Jesus can't come in like a flood and, and help us with those things. We must own our failures and mistakes so that we can learn and grow. I think what ends up happening is that when we, when we don't, we end up passing those things on. We pass those things on to our kids, to the people around us. We, we, we have people who are looking up to us and, and they see us owning our, uh, or walking in pride and, and not being willing to lay those things down. And because of that, they think, oh, well, that's, that's how spirituality is supposed to work. But what if... What if we instead own our mistakes? We acknowledge that the wilderness, we had a hand in that. We walked through that because of decisions that we made. And I think the beautiful thing is, is that like, it happens on the heels of God's provision. It happens on the heels of God's abundance. God pours out his blessing in the form of harvest, and in response, we remember the things that we, we walk through. Now, what I, I don't think what I'm talking about is, is walking, like re reliving shame. That's not what I'm talking about. 
But, but I think we have to acknowledge the places that we've been. So this morning, I, I want to challenge you. Those places in your life that you have wanted to whisk past, those places in your life where you've not wanted to acknowledge the hurt that you've caused other people, maybe even the hurt that you have been caused. I just want to challenge you to put it before the Lord. Put those those broken places, whether they're broken because you broke them or whether they're broken because someone else broke them, and put them before the Lord. Because when you do that, when you acknowledge it, when you own it, when you confess it, that's when Jesus can come in and pour out living water. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you bring healing. Lord, I... I confess that I, I have need of you, you coming in and, and saving me on a daily basis. God, I, I hurt people with my words. I don't put my trust in you. God, I pray that you, as, as we, as a people, confess those things. God, I pray that you would come in and be the living water. That the impact of, of what you said there in John would overwhelm us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.